This is a News Laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Interviews. Welcome to NL Interviews and we have with us Rana Safi whose latest book, Tidastani uh, Gadar, came out last month. Uh, it came out in May itself. Uh, so this came out this month. This is also the only English translation of this book, yes. which you just informed me, which I was unaware of. So far, it's only been in Urdu and is a primary first-person account of the 1857 War of Independence, right? Uh, which is a question we were discussing. The You said it wasn't the first War of Independence. See, we uh, when we say that it was the first War of Indian Independence, it was not Pan-India, first of all, because it was only restricted to the uh, UP, that is Awadh, right. Delhi, Madhya Pradesh and Bihar. So what I think, what we call the cow belt or the doab or whatever it is, that's where this it was concentrated. And most of the people who joined in the rulers were either affected by the British doctrine of lapse mm -hmm. or some other the thing which was usurping their own rights. Because uh, the, all of Punjab was with the British. In fact, it was the Maharaja of Patiala and the who sent his army with right. the British to fight the... Right, that was the reinforcements and, yes, coming yeah. in. Uh -huh. And uh, the Afghans, the Gurkhas, they were all fighting with the British. So, and uh, the South was unaffected by most of it. Right. So, it's, you know, like, I feel it's an uprising, it's a popular uprising, but it's not to call really it the first a, war it's not really a pan-India war of okay. independence. So that's another thing, because at least when in school, um, when I learned it, I was like, here's a list of reasons. I mean, the most obvious one being the, the paper cartridges for like the, the thing. That seems to be the main focus as well in this particular account. But all of the other things that we were given as well, like they don't seem addressed at all. Uh, Zahir Tehelvi was 22 years old. He was a poet. He was living in a Delhi which was already under the control of the British. So for him, the rulers were British and Bahadur Shah right. was his Badshah well. and a nominal king. So he, they were all very content and satisfied with the way they were living, I think. Because at no point of time does he criticize anything to do with the British. Right. In fact, he calls it the revolt uh, uh, he throughout. Calls it, huh? He calls it throughout. He says they are baghi, matlab, uh, ungrateful, hai, ye hai, wo hai. he keeps you know, like criticizing them and he criticizes their conduct. Of course, that was worth, uh, worthy of criticism because most of the time they were either, I think, uh, drunk on pa, they got it too soon. <laughs> well, that's never changing. <laughs> and uh, the whole of India was not united. So the, on, the biggest lesson from this, as one of the British officers said, was that uh, this is the first time that they realized that uh, Hindus, Muslims, upper caste and lower caste can all unite to fight against the British. So in that much, that sense, okay. yes, it was a So it's like the first, sense. at least, I mean, caste-based united yes. uh, revolt. Like caste and a, religion. Caste and religion. Yeah. Right, but even then, it, I mean, I'm sure like there were like groups that weren't as involved just by virtue of not living in this cow belt area. Hmm. Right? As I said, no, the hmm. entire Punjab, Afghanistan, that area, the south, they were not involved. The northeast, in any case, I think, don't think it was part of the Mughal Empire also, because they had uh, put Bahadur Shah on the throne as Bacha of Hindustan, the cavalry men who came, the hmm. sepoys who came from Meerut, they installed Bahadur Shah. Right, that was Bacha. their first act. Ha, huh. That was their first act. And then after that, people, the soldiers of uh, other regiments belonging to the East India Company, some belonging to the Indian rulers also, uh, revolted against the uh, officers and came and joined the uh, soldiers already inside the fort in Delhi. 
And in other places also we have in Lucknow, we have in Kanpur, we have in Jhansi, and other places where slowly the uprising spread. Okay. Oh, I mean, I should have asked this in the beginning, but let's address this. So how did you decide to translate this? Like, what was the process? Because it hasn't been translated in all this time, which is very strange. Uh, and so William Dalrymple has used it in The Last Mughal. The Last Mughal. Uh, um, but even he's going by only like the the, the first couplets. The first. He, uh, I think, got the first because he wanted to use that part or regarding Bahadur Shah. So he got those translated and used those. But uh, the rest of the book is also just as fascinating when uh, Zaheer the Helvi leaves, the, he's forced to leave Shah Jahanabad and he's mm -hmm. on the run for his life. Those parts when he goes to Rampur, then Alwar, Jaipur, Tonk, Hyderabad, those are very fascinating. It's almost like a travelogue and a, no, right. and a beautiful description of life of those uh, in those days under those rulers. In the of, wake of uh, this particular uh, world. And uh, it showcases the, a very beautiful syncretic way of life where everybody is living very happily, the Hindus and the Muslims, they're all living together very happily in Shah Jahanabad, even in Alwar and Jaipur, when, uh, where he goes later on. And uh, I've always been very fascinated by 1857 and uh, the way of life, the way it disturbed the way of life that had been going on. An entire population was wiped out an entire, and forced to leave the city. And uh, how the demographics of uh, Shah Jahanabad changed after that, because if, uh, you go to the mutiny memorial on the ridge in Delhi. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a, the, a plaque over there which says on 19th, uh, on 20th of September, the city was uh, cleared of the enemy. Huh, that's the British who, putting it oh, up. I was, was going to say, who's that a reference to? <laughs> and then the, there's a plaque there by the Indian government put up much later, I think in the nine, 1977, where they say that the enemy that they are referring to were patriots. <laughs> so, you know, like that fascinated me. And every time I tried to look it up on uh, the net or anywhere else, you always go back to this book called Dastane Ghadar. And then you realize there is no English translation. Only the, a few excerpts have been used by people like mm -hmm. Dalrymple and many other actually authors who have written on Bahadur Shah have used Dalrymple as their source for, uh, sorry, okay. I'm sorry, uh, have used Zaheer Dhelvi as their source for the character of uh, Bahadur Shah Zafar. So the book is known, but somehow no one has thought huh, it is <laughs> significant enough to translate. I mean, that must mean it's only in English and Urdu, Abhi, right? Like yes, only in English and Urdu. I'm getting a lot of requests for a Hindi translation. Yeah, I'm there. surprised that itself uh, isn't that there. People are saying that, please, uh, because this will only be at just a change of script and an in explanation of a few Urdu words, because there are many Urdu terms in this, which I had a tough time, uh, you know, okay. like trying to find out because they are honorary titles. Some of it is that the type, there were typesetting mistakes because I couldn't find the original. I found it much later, just before it, this book went into print. I found out where the original was. Oh, wow. So, <laughs> so I went to Professor Shamsur Rahman Faruqi because there were a couple of words which I just could not figure out what they meant. So he had come to Delhi and I oh, can you give me an example? Uh, uh, there's a word in this where it says, Ke, Safar Meena Paltan Aagai. Safar Meena, I kept hunting for it. Pure atlases, dekhe, sab dekhe, ke, where is this place called, either there should be a city called Safar or a city called Meena. And I kept asking everybody. Nobody could figure out and they said, there is no city called Safar and Meena in the 19th century. Then eventually when I went to Faruqi Sawa, I asked him, I said, Ye Safar Meena kya hai? So he laughed and he said, sappers and miners. <laughs> oh, oh. So just to take us off track, so this particular first-person account, how does this differ from every other book written on the mutiny? I mean, A, you have someone embedded, but clearly with loyalties that are not towards the mutineers. So, you know, um, 
uh, the sepoys themselves. So like, how is this, in what other ways is this radically different from everything else that we've read or have grown up reading? The accounts we have grown up reading are written by British themselves. Okay. I don't think we have read any account by an Indian who was an eyewitness to it. Uh, at least uh, now they are, some are, are getting translated and available, but when we were in school, there were none. Right, no, in all, school, uh, it actually called it the revolt of 1857, so we, which is how I learned uh, that, so that we last read, generation. That's because uh, we read the British accounts. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, while reading this, I discovered a few more. There, has been, there was one um, uh, account in Marathi called, I think, Majha Pravas, I'm forgetting the name, but uh, Minal Pandey has translated it for Harper Collins as oh, 1857 okay, a revolt. So Is that, that out? I don't yes, think so. yes. Okay. That came out a few years ago. Mm -hmm. And uh, that describes the uh, uprising in Jhansi and those areas okay, in Madhya right, Pradesh. Right, right. And uh, this book describes it in Delhi. Right, then specifically. You have, hmm. Specifically in Delhi. Then you have a lot of accounts, British uh, lady accounts, uh, the accounts written by the British women in uh, Lucknow and Kanpur. There are a lot of stories by British women from uh, when they were, they were, they were in the residency for a couple of months. So many of them wrote diaries and books and which were come, came out. Then British officers wrote many diaries that have also been published. And recently, uh, of course, it was published back then in the 19th century, but it's just surfaced again. Were two accounts by one spy, who a British spy who was embedded in the oh, Mughal okay. court. Yes, he was actually uh, the chief scribe for the commissioner, British commissioner. And he used to, his daily job was to go to the court, find out what was happening and send a report. And he continued doing this during the period of 18, the siege of mm -hmm. Delhi, the four months. So every day, he's called Munshi Jeevanlal, and every day there is an account of his, in his diary, which was translated by the commissioner Theophilus Metcalf later on. And another account by a Kotwal called Moinuddin, who was again uh, loyal to the British. He also wrote an account which was translated by Theophilus uh, Metcalf. Okay, so I mean that's the standard that we've huh. grown up reading. But this... those are not very well known. Oh, okay, right, right. <laughs> so I found them by chance when I was researching that how do I corroborate what uh, Zahir is saying. Right, so that, that was actually my next question. How do you fact check a lot? Because this is a first person account, there's a lot of, oh I saw this. There's a lack of details, there's no dates in here most of the time. So I must have read at least seven to ten books on the period. Some on Bahadur Shah, some, as I said, these two accounts by uh, Moinuddin and uh, Jeevanlal, then another account by this, uh, I'm forgetting the name of that uh, Marathi, he was a Marathi priest who had come f to do some yagna in Bithor and then in between okay, the two, just stayed on and, and in between the okay. uprising happened. And uh, there, have been a, there has been a lot written on Bahadur Shah, on the trial, all these I read to cross-check. Hmm. So that then I would, you know, like keep marking and then keep seeing that, like he just says, pehli ladai, dusri ladai, tisri ladai. So, ab ye pehli ladai kab hui? So, I had to go back in time and check that when was it, and he is saying that when he is describing that particular place, he is not giving it a modern name. Of course. So, to yeah. find the reference and, uh, you know, that was the tough part of it. Right, right. Well, hence the live <laughs> mint walking that thing. Yes. Uh, so the other question I had then, uh, which also goes back to this, is so so he's describing this fairly. According to him, this, the, things were harmonious. In fact, the uh, the revolt only complicated things, made things worse. Right? Yes, because uh, as far as he's concerned, the monarchy finished. Hmm, right. The Mughals, uh, and he talks of that very often. He right. says. 
but probably because uh, the british did a lot of witch hunting especially of the muslim population of okay. uh, shahjanabad now this why was, is that why is that this was something hmm. that was explained to me by a friend uh, he, his name is mani mukda sharma he is uh, expert on uh, the military aspects of uh, the 19th and 20th century oh, okay. so i asked him i said what was this explain this to me so he said the reason was that the sawars that is the cavalry men they were the first to revolt against the cartridges because they were the ones who were imprisoned in meerut and they came the sawars mostly belonged to the muslim uh, uh, sect so and up ache mudda pathans and uh, you know from the upper the same muslim uh, sect and the infantry which came much later and joined they also joined and by the time the first war was the first battle takes place of the uprising the infantry is also come infantry comprised comprised of the upper caste uh, hindus Okay. So okay. because the first one to come in were the Muslims. So in the mind of, and they uh, came and uh, installed Bahadur Shah Zafar. So in the mind of the British it was always the what they call the Mohammedans. Hmm. It was always the Mohammedans who revolted against them. Oh, so it started that. Oh, that's interesting. So though, that was in their uh, mind it was synonymous and that is why after uh, they captured Delhi on the 14th of September and 19th of September they it's totally under their control. the first people to move out and to be chased out of delhi were all the muslim noblemen and the nawabs and the rajas and all that okay so that's how that empty, that that exodus takes place oh that that is interesting especially because like in our current culture like climate especially that like that's not a thing that you would think your first wave of revolutionaries huh. but yeah um and so um again like to to make another segue so how is it that when you're translating this when you're working on this like your own personal feelings on the matter because to think of then again the the english as a good system a working system how does that clash right <laughs> i mean when i was translating i translated i was very very uh, faithful to i was the thinking of um, what's her name audrey trushke's book yes. the, and the backlash that yes. that had because you're trying to humanize aurangzeb and the backlash was immense um and you know just to even consider then like if you if you're saying that look this mugalapur like how dare you humanize him <laughs> you know then angrezke said that has to be so much with us i do get a lot of uh, comments sometimes but uh, you see the bahadur shah was not a very controversial figure okay and uh, the book very clearly describes when they're talking of uh, in fact when he's talking of ramzan and the mm-hmm. day the, the the so-called rebels came to delhi he's describing a scene of the jamna uh, nahan that subah subah sab aate hain nahane ke liye all the girls and he's talking you know like fairy like girls and then the beautiful sarees and they're having a dip in the yamuna and then they come for the jharoka darshan of the king and it's only after the jharoka darshan that the entire process is complete and then mm-hmm. they go back and have their food so he's describing that he's describing at the same time when he's saying he's saying i'll just read out that portion that yeah, is one please. very beautiful verse where he's saying ke masjidon mein azan ki awaaz aa rahi hai aur mandiron se hari hari ki awaaz so he's describing that you know like he was uh, where is right now that's how you get into a twitter fight by describing uh-huh. the same thing so you know like uh, the things that he that, says yeah. are so such a beautiful uh, description of uh, the society in those days 
Well, we can dedicate this passage to Sunu Nigam if we can find it. <laughs> he says, Subay hui gajar baja, murke seher ka gul hua. Murke seher is subay ki chidiya, the morning birds. They are now chirping. Murke seher ka gul hua. Karne lage chaman chaman, murke chaman nawagiri. The birds are chirping all over and you know, like uh, making a noise in all the gardens. Masjid o khanka se shor utha salat ka. From the dargahs and the mosques, you can hear the azan and the sound of prayers. There me jaake brahman karne lage hari hari. And from the temples, you can hear the sounds of hari hari being recited by the brahmans. Right, now, so this is the society in 1857. Fairly idyllic. It seems fairly harmonious. There seems to be no conflict at all. And so after that, though, what happens then when everyone resettles into the city in the wake of the revolt? Because then what happens to this harmony? See, now in this, he, that's the, for me, the most exciting part of it was when he's chased out of Delhi and how he's trying to escape the, and the countryside, the countryside huh? and, you know, like his family is separated. And he describes, uh, in fact, he, it's a very popular part of Shahjanabad even today, Old Delhi, Kucha Chelan. And uh, in that area, the British just lined up people and shot them and threw them into wells. And the entire mohalla, all the male males in that mohalla were killed, rounded up and killed. And uh, like they had prize agents who were just looting, and uh, you know, like the British prize agent, then they would divide it amongst themselves the bounty. And he's on the run, and uh, his all that uh, jewelry that his wife had had to be left behind because the mother, the mother-in-law, sorry, the grandmother of the uh, his wife says that tumari jaan ko pad jayenge saare lutere agar tum ye leke chalega. So he she has to leave it all behind, and uh, then it's only after he I think 1864 that he comes back to Delhi. Then he sent a letter that if you haven't participated in the uprising, you can come back. But those who had are still not allowed. And general amnesty was given only by the time, by I think 1870, uh, after 1870s, when there was a darbar held in Delhi. Oh, wow. The viceroy so, came in okay. a darbar is held, and that time the Muslims are allowed to come back to. And it's very specific, those orders were given. The Muslims can now come back to Shahjahanabad. And when they come back, they no longer ha have those uh, positions of power. They've lost all their jewelry, mm -hmm. all their be belongings, all their. So, uh, Bahadur Shah, especially the. Uh, princes and the royalty, the princesses. There is a book by Khwaja uh, Hassan Nizami. He is an ancestor of uh, the Sajjada Nasheens of Dargah Hazrat okay. Nizamuddin. So he has given an eyewitness account in a book called Begmat Kyasu. He has gone and talked to the survivor of, the, of uh, Bahadur Shah's family. He describes how they all, some many of them were killed, some of them escaped, those who escaped, how they were looted, and you know, kahan kahan gaye, koi Hyderabad gaya, koi kahin gaya, some went to Mecca, some went to, you know, like Baghdad to oh, escape wow. the wrath of the British, because the British were after them, oh, to okay. catch and kill mm -hmm. each of them. So, and then when they come back, they have almost nothing. The Mughal princes and princesses are begging on the streets. They are right. working as... And the monarchy has been dismantled. He has gone to Rangoon. <laughs> he went to Rangoon in 58. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, th the life is now totally changed. The people in power are the British. They are the new Hukmaran. And uh, the traders and the, the trading class especially, that sided with the British and kept supplying them with... Uh, groceries and things on the ridge. They are the new uh, elite now. So there's a new social order yeah, almost new social overnight. order. Absolutely, hmm. totally new social order. And uh, very, and so and Delhi... And how much of that are we still seeing the effect of Abhi? See, Delhi was um, destroyed and repopulated twice, 1857 and 1947. 
So what we see of Delhi now, especially Shah Jahanabad, is not what Shah Jahanabad was in 1857, because it was destroyed twice. Population shifted twice. Right, so these references are not just removed, they're removed twice over. So for you to repiece all of that must have been incredible. Uh, no, because then we're also talking, like that's the uh, other thing in the news frequently, right? Is a lot of renaming of old roads, like Rungazab and whatnot, even though they've been embedded uh, in the tapestry of the country for so long. Like, why is that, that, that we're seeing things like this occurring, Abibi? <laughs> we are... Are we still seeing them as two separate entities? Like, first there were the Mughals, then there were the English. We are very... I don't think it's a very wise thing that we are doing, but we are judging people who ruled in the medieval ages according to modern standards. In those days, what they did was, has to be judged by anyone who did something in the ancient period or in the medieval period, has to be judged by the rules that were prevailing the in those days. The parameters of that time. But we Much are not. Much like we are the Gaurakshak uh, anecdote that you were telling me earlier. Yes, <laughs> in this there is... Uh, in fact, that's my favorite story in this, is of how Bhadur Shah deals with two complaints that come to him. In the morning, as I said, I mentioned Haruka Darshan. Haruka Darshan was in the one of the balconies, it's called Musammam Burj, in the Lal Qila. He used to sit there in the, early in the morning after his morning right. prayers, and people had direct uh, the thing to him. They could come and give uh, whatever complaints they had, they could talk to him directly, and he would redress them there and there, then itself. So one morning when he got up, he saw that uh, the butchers of Shahjahanabad were all gathered under the Qila. And at that time, uh, the river ran, Yamuna ran just where now MG Road is. So between the Yamuna and the Qila, there was a part called Reti, which is the sandy portion of the okay. river. So they were all camped on that. So he asked them, he said, okay, what's happened? Why are you here? And they said that the British have told us that, you know, like we make too much of uh, nuisance in the uh, city, like too much of dirt and whatever. We are talking of it today, isn't it? Pollution, etc. Right, etc. Yeah, yeah. So the British have told us to go out of the city. So uh, when The original odd even. <laughs> <laughs> so when Bahadur Shah hears that, he calls his wazir and he says, take my tent there also. So his tent is also pitched next along with the butchers. So when the Kiredar, who was a British commandant, when he hears that, he comes running and he says, Huzur, what are you doing? He says, I have to stay with my people. If you're throwing my people out of the city, please throw me also. And he says, once I'm dead, you can do whatever you want. But as long as I'm alive, my people will not suffer. And uh, so they are reinstated. A few months later, the Ghosis, that were the Hindu people, uh, dairy owners, the, right. uh, the ones who trade, uh, sold milk, etc., they suffer the same fate. The British tell them that they have to leave the city because uh, they are dirtying and polluting the city. So section by section, they seem to be going through yes. this. It's never just collectively one group. It's always one group is marginalized, picked, yes. and they, okay. <laughs> so when they come there, then uh, the same thing happens. They tell the Basha sees them sitting there uh, in their tents, and he says, what's happening? He says, we, being, we are being thrown out. So he tells his wazir, please take my tent and put it there pitch it there next to them. So again, the commissioner and the Kaledar come running and say, Basha, what are you doing? And he says, I cannot see my people suffer. If they are suffering, they have to be thrown out. You throw me out also. So his sense of justice was for everybody in his... Uh, and his writ actually only ran inside the Qila, so he could only appeal to the Britishers and do whatever he want personally. But even within that, uh, there is no identity politics at no. play, except he, by the English, right? Except justice <laughs> for him. And uh, you know, like when, uh, of course, not in this book, but there's another book where uh, this Begmat Kansu that I mentioned, mm -hmm. 
that when he is leaving the, the Qila on the 17th of September and he is fleeing to Humayun's uh, tomb, at night he prays. He says that all the Hindus and the Muslims of this of Shah Jahanabad are my children and don't let them suffer the consequences of my action. Because he felt that the British are against him since he is the right. leader of the uprising. So he took it, the onus on himself. On, on so himself. these are again people who very then embedded into uh, the culture, right? Yes. And, and yet, you know, this kind of renaming of things are kind of... Because uh, we are not reading history, we are reading WhatsApp. <laughs> people, you know, Twitter and Facebook have, you know, like uh, made us attention span so less that we can't read more than 200, 300 words. So a WhatsApp serves, you know, like a beautiful history lesson. Except the history being served is not necessarily factual or remotely it's accurate. absolutely <laughs> distorted. I don't think any WhatsApp forward except the jokes are <laughs> to be taken seriously. All right, that should be the new moratorium. Jokes only on WhatsApp. <laughs> yes, only take jokes seriously. <laughs> the lessons that the British, the lesson that the British learned was that the Hindu, Muslim and the upper and lower caste can get united and rise up against us. The lesson that we must learn is that only if we stay united can we rise up above ourselves. So we have to find a way to get back to that to unity. get back. And as a, uh, there was a journalist who was killed on the 16th of September as soon as the British captured uh, Delhi called Malvi Bakar, uh, Malvi Muhammad Bakar. He, when the British tried to you know, like instigate trouble between the Hindus and Muslims by saying that the Christians and the Muslims are more, you know, like allied, more in common, and Sahibi Kitab hai. He says, Hum aur Hindu ahle vatan hai. We are people of the same country. So we have to remember that we are ahle vatan, we live in the same country, and we have to live in harmony. That's the only way to progress. Well, I think that's like the best thing we can take away from this. But thank you so much for joining thank us today. Thank you for calling and, me. Oh, of course, thank you. And yeah, so Dastani Gadar is out in stores and online. It's a gorgeous hardcover. And thank you so much for having me. Thank you. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. Catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport. Visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.